simple, really. I mean, it was once I identified the belief and where it come from, it was a case of identifying whether it was serving me or not uh, in the moment today. And, uh, you know, understanding that that belief had been created under certain circumstances many years ago, which didn't reflect me as a person now and who I am moving forward. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today and this morning, I have a uh, fabulous uh, Mark Singer. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Mark. Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me on. Yes, yeah, good to have you on. You're, you're a mindset coach and a motivational speaker uh, with a focus of helping individuals turn their adversity into strength. Um, but we're, today, we're going to be exploring how you got there and you spent some time in prison for a crime you didn't commit uh explore about the mindset how you dealt with that and how that relates to you as a mindset coach today mm. uh, before we get into that mark i'd like to understand and find out because i'm really curious and nosy is what do you love about what you do now oh good question um that light bulb moment is probably the highlight this is what keeps my passion alive when i'm working with a client um it's the it's that sort of moment where someone um where the penny drops basically where they see the difference between their old thinking and their current way of thinking and basically thinking to themselves, why haven't I done this sooner? And that's the sort of moment when everybody sort of breaks free of those chains when they've been uh, holding themselves back in some way and, and then start to move forward. And it's that moment when everybody finds that light bulb, light bulb moment. That's the moment which um, ex inspires me the most to carry on doing what I do in terms of my one-to-one -one work with clients and so on. It's it's fabulous. It's the best high I've ever had in my life. It's the best buzz you can imagine. Yeah, so, yeah, that's 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 probably the, uh, the, the best part of the job, I would say. Fantastic. That's really good to hear. And uh, mm. I, I probably are similar I, I have that sort of love of seeing those moments where people really get inspired and really unlock that sort of human potential and see something different in transformation in their lives so yeah mm -hmm. that's the great thing about being a coach uh, getting alongside mm -hmm. people and working in that way um now you were falsely imprisoned and i'd like us to go back to this because it really ties into what you do today really is um and probably in a very short version because I'm sure there's longer versions of you telling this story. Um, but we only only got so much time because I want to get into the, into the mindset piece. But it'd be good for you just to share how you ended up being wrongfully imprisoned and what yep. were the circumstances that surrounded that sort of incident, really. Yeah, well, I'm glad you've said about the circumstances because that's important. Um, well, I was given a, a um, what's called an IPP sentence, which is essentially a life sentence in 2011 for a crime I hadn't done. Um, however, I've never saw, seen myself as some kind of victim of injustice. And the reason being is because there's, like you just rightly said, there's more to the story than meets the eye. And there's, so I was at a work Christmas party um, in 2010. Um, I was working in a car dealership at the time and I was at, number one salesman within that area and I was doing really well and I was um, on the surface of things thriving I was working very long hours I was working like 12 hour days sorry yeah 12 hour days seven days a week sometimes um, so the pressure of the the job was very much on top of me and I had other things I was juggling outside and I was probably not living a very um, uh, healthy lifestyle because of the work that I was doing and the pressure I was doing so <clears throat> There was a lot of pressure involved at that time. 
Now, if you go backwards into some of my past, um, I had I were, I came from a very good upbringing. My family were both hard workers, both gave me a wonderful upbringing, so lots of love, lots of support. Um, but around the age of 15, I went off the rails a little bit because what happened was I was bullied quite badly at school. And after leaving school, I had this desire, this need to be included, to be in part a part of something, accepted. And I found myself in within a gang um, at football. And I developed a, a bunch of antisocial sort of beliefs and attitudes around the time of the bullying because I realised at that time that if you stand up to bullies using aggression or violence, then you don't get bullied. So what happened was is I left school and I got involved in this gang, much to my parents' uh, anguish, but I was I went off the rails. And for about 10 years of my life, I spent my life within this sort of world um, doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, taking drugs, um, getting involved in things that are against the law and so on. And I found myself in a lot of trouble with the police. And <clears throat> around the age of 25, I started to move away from that. <clears throat> and I started getting myself back in, into a good job and I was working. Before that, I was working in the family business. And on the surface of things, things seemed to be going in the right direction. But however, uh, what I hadn't counted on um, was that the, these beliefs, these attitudes that had created that sort of mindset to go and get involved in a gang at that early age hadn't been dealt with. So even though on the surface I'd moved away from that lifestyle, I'd actually not moved away from the belief system that I'd created. So it was still there. And so whenever I found myself under sort of some, some kind of pressure or stress, I would still revert back to that old way of thinking when triggered. What, what was the old way of thinking? What were those beliefs that you had? I, I actually, the actual belief was that if you're being bullied or intimidated, talked down to, and you know, that sort of thing, to stand up using aggression and violence or violence. Mm. So that was the belief that I created at that early age. Uh, I did. I know that because I did a lot of work um, to identify that belief later on um, because I recognised later, you know, and that comes back to the prison thing we're going to discuss because when I found myself in prison, I recognised that it wasn't as easy to blame the world. It's easy to see yourself as a victim of justice. Mm. We all do, and we are victims a lot of the time. But when you look back at the bigger picture, there's a part that you've played in that, in creating that scenario. Mm. Now, had I not had those beliefs and attitudes at that early age, the likelihood of me getting involved in that altercation at that work Christmas party would have been pretty much zero, to be totally honest with you. But the truth of the matter is, is I was drunk. I was under a lot of pressure. Um, and I found myself in a situation where it wasn't my argument, it was somebody else's, but my girlfriend got involved and um, these four guys attacked my girlfriend and I stepped in to sort of to mitigate that, ended up getting attacked myself. I ended up in prison, well, sorry, in, in hospital, um, badly beaten up. I had bro broken ribs, broken arm. My head was, I had bad concussion for about two weeks. So... It was I who got attacked. However, like I said, I wouldn't have found myself in that situation had I not had that beliefs, had I not been triggered that night. Um, so the belief was that I had to also defend my girlfriend. I had to protect her. And in my mind at that time, that meant standing up to these guys. Mm. I didn't reckon on the, the other side of it, which was like the best way to protect her would have probably been to get her away from that scenario and look after her and not end up going to hospital and leave her in a hotel on her own all night, which is what happened. So 
my belief system at that time was very antisocial and it was not something that was supportive of where I wanted to go in my life. So did, found... did you at the time when you at the time when you had these beliefs, obviously mm. were you aware of at the time, as you are clearly now aware of those beliefs, or was it just something you reacted and was it was it triggered by the, the sort of aggression? Yeah. Um and did you at that point also know where you wanted to get to as well? And and did you feel that they were sort of stopping you getting there? Well, no, I was ignorant to it. I mean, it's the honest truth. Um, I had no real clue about the mindset back then, <clears throat> in terms of my own anyway. Um, I was always um, in tune psychologically with things. Like, you know, I was always interested in that sort of stuff. But um, in terms of my own belief system, I had no real clue about it, how you manifested it, how you created it, and so on. So it was, you know, I wasn't really, I, on the surface, I was doing all right. I thought I was doing okay. I was earning good money. I was working in a job I enjoyed and so on. So I, I wasn't seeing anything stopping me moving forward. I, I just had that belief that, you know, I was doing all right. Um, and like I said, uh, it, on the surface, I told myself that I was moving on in my life, that it was, I was because I'd moved away from that, because I'd moved, cut one thing out of my life. Mm-hmm. To me, that was like, oh, well, that's gone now. I can move on. doesn't work like that because if you've been through a situation or an envi- you've been in an environment or you've had a set of beliefs which have been uh, unhealthy, the only way they're going to change is if you change them. So you can't just hope that they go away. They, they will still be there embedded in your subconscious somewhere. So it's, what happens is, is when you get triggered by something which triggers that belief, um, and it was a lot the, the, that that um circumstance that night was in alignment with the old kind of circumstances like for instance being bullied mm-hmm. so that belief i was being bullied oh <clears throat> i have to react that way so the belief is that you know you you've got to stand up for yourself you've got to protect the people around you you've got to do that and that's what happened so you can either go one of two ways and this is what i know now is that whenever someone does say or do something that triggers you um you can either react to it or you can choose to respond to it and if you react to it, you're going to be reacting from the belief system that you've created maybe many, many years before. Mm. And if that's a reaction which is unhealthy or unhelpful to you, then perhaps that's an opportunity to look at that belief system and say to yourself, well, why am I reacting with anger or frustration or whatever it may mm. be? And what do I need to change about my belief system so that I don't react that way? Mm. And that's essentially what happened to me. I mean, I found out I had to go through the hard way of doing it, unfortunately, but it led to me getting incarcerated. Um, much to everyone's shock, obviously, because I hadn't actually done the, the crime. Um, but like I said, it was aligned with my past. So the reason why I actually got the sentence that I got was because I had the past. I was actually convicted on my past. It was like... Um, and I don't blame anyone for this because at the end of the day, if you were, I was on a jury, I'd have done the same. Um, when you look at the, the the story, the story is here nor there. It was my word, mm-hmm. my my girlfriend and I's word against these four guys. There was no forensics, no CCTV, no sort of independent witnesses or anything like that. So it was simply their word against ours. So really the crux of it came down to my past. And so when they looked at my past, they were like, well, look, he's been in trouble in the past. He must have done this sort of mentality. And that's a normal thing for anyone to make an assumption or a judgment on, to be totally honest. I mean, most of us would do that if we saw something on the news and we saw a guy put in, sent to prison for something that he'd supposedly done. And then they said, well, he's done similar in the past. We're all going to just say, well, it's, it's his fault then, isn't it? 
because yeah, that's no, the way it, it's a shame isn't it that, that happens so so when you got given that sentence hmm. um describe the emotions that, that went through at that point and when you you literally in the dock and you were you were hmm. sentenced and you were going to be imprisoned and obviously in your you know falsely imprisoned as well hmm. um how did you deal with that well at first i was like we just said i reverted to that reaction sort of um stress reaction and it was just full of victimized. I, you know, I just felt like a victim. I mean, initially, um, I was very numb to it, to be fair, on for, at first. Um, it was like it wasn't happening. It was like a surreal situation. I, you know, like I said, I'd expected to get off of it. So the thought that, you know, it had gone this bad and, it, you know, now I was looking at a life sentence. Was, so, so were you quite surprised when it, when they actually got the sentence and you got, of course. Yeah. Know. I wasn't expecting that at first uh, at all. Um, you know, because I like, again, I, I knew I hadn't done it. Even I, at that stage, I hadn't equated the fact that what we just talked about the fact that, you know, your past is influences your future and so on. Mm. You know, I hadn't thought of it in that respect. I just thought, well, this is what's happened. And now I'm in court for that, and I shouldn't be found guilty because I didn't do it. The evidence showed that you know, was more in line with me actually not doing it. So I don't understand why I didn't understand why um, I'd been found guilty. It was later, with you know, in, when you've reflected upon it, you can see why. And so, you know, I understand why the jury now found me guilty. At that time, I couldn't because I couldn't see why they couldn't see the flaws in the case and the fact that there were so many contradictions and there was no no actual evidence against me and so on. So and and the story just didn't that, that was presented didn't align with the facts that you know the reality basically. So anyway, so it, it was it was a situation you know I was focused on my family because I had lots of support. I had like I said I had a big loving family and lots of friends. Um, the, ju- the judge when sentencing me or, you know, sending me that actually said, he said, it's the first time he's ever seen a full doc. I had 40 odd people there supporting me, um, you know, for someone who's been convicted of a crime like this. He goes, um, usually someone comes to court for a crime like this. They have no support because they, you know, they wouldn't be a very nice person. So he couldn't comprehend why I had the support there. So, but that went on for weeks, months, even. Um, you know, appealing and lobbying and all of that sort of stuff at first. And it was only after I'd been sent to prison that we sort of accepted the reality and, and started to do what we could. But um, at first I was I was just completely numb. Um, and my mum was, I think, worse off than me because she, <laughs> she just was fuming. She was angry. Uh, when told that I was never going to be released from prison, because this is the thing that people understand is the IPP system. It's brought out in 96 by David Blunkett, and it was brought out initially for sex offenders. So if you'd been in, uh, you'd done a crime like a rape or something many years before, and then you'd done something similar, they gave you uh, the, 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 the system, the ability to give them a sentence where they had no release date. So that it's down to the parole board to determine when and if they are ever released. So what happened was it got, this law got abused and rolled out to thousands of people. And it didn't have to be something as bad, uh, as extreme as a rape or something like that. There's people in there using it for threatening phone calls and things like that. So it's it petted down, it, it pitted down. It's anyone who'd done a like threatening phone call once and they've done it again, mm. we're now getting IPPs. So, and with an IPP, you're given a tariff, which is a very base. That's your basic 
amount of time that you've got to serve. However, no one, pretty much no one, ever gets out on their tariff. They usually do at least three times more than their tariff. There's one guy in there who's done 18 years, um, more now probably, on an 18-month tariff. So, you know, the, the, the chances of getting out on those systems, uh, on those things were told, uh, were zero at that time. So, And that's what people told me. So they said, like, you're not going to get out of prison, so just accept that. Um, but I didn't accept that. So, so talk, talk. So, so you got given this. You, you accepted mm. that you were in prison and you were sentenced, and you got the reality of that, which obviously it was a reality. Um, how did you then deal with the fact that potentially you could not get out, and and the fact that you um, had not done this crime? Mm. Um, what was going on in your mind, and, and what were the sort of, I guess, the coping strategies that helped you navigate that difficulty? while you were in prison. Just a short interruption to the episode to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in association with Lodge Court, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at Lodge Court and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let Lodge Court deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly retain package that is right for you and your people. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, the good question. I mean, like initially I had, I, I suppose I had just like a blind belief that I would get out. I just knew that I would. And I remember conversations with guys in there who were in similar situations to me. Well, I was just very confident about it. I was just like, well, we're going to get out. Something will happen. Something will change. And I had that optimism. I was never in that sort of like, oh, no, we're never going to get out sort of thing mindset. And maybe that's just that, my nature. I don't know. But um, but everybody was saying to me, get it out of your head because you're not getting out, whether that's inmates, whether that's um, staff. And so I didn't. So, But what it did make me do is reflect deeply within myself because I recognised at that early stage, uh, especially the fact that I'd been convicted of something I hadn't done. The fact is, is that if you, they told me that you've got to accept it because if you don't accept it, you will never get out, definitely. You've got to take responsibility for it. So that triggered me into thinking, okay, I need to take some sort of, I can't just fight it and say, I didn't do it and I'm not doing, you know, accepting that because that won't help me. That won't help me move forward. So I need to do the work within myself to sort of find out why I'm in this situation and what I can do to change me so that I can progress. So I did. I started doing courses and what are called um, offending behaving behavior courses, which help you identify where your core beliefs come from, they help you deal with addictions, you know, things like anger management, all of that sort of stuff. I did about 30 of those courses over a six-year period. But those initial courses helped me start focusing on my mind, start working on myself. So I started up digging up old beliefs. And that's where we just, uh, that initial belief came out because <clears throat> that was one of the first things I did. It's like unraveling a ball of string. You're getting that bit of string working backwards to find out where that belief initially, initially started. And I recognized that it was started at school. And that gave me the opportunity to change that belief to something that was more pro-social. Mm. So I dug it and out. How, so how did you change that? How did you, <coughs> once you, you realised that this belief system had created you know, your, your history, mm. um, how did you then sort of make steps to change that belief? Simple, really. I mean, it was once I identified the belief and where it come from, 
it was a case of identifying whether it was serving me or not uh, in the moment today. And, uh, you know, understanding that that belief had been created under certain circumstances many years ago, which didn't reflect me as a person now and who I am moving forward. And it gave me that opportunity to sort of then um, create a new belief, change a new belief. So I created a new one, which was basically, um, you know, if someone threatens you or bullies you or whatever, rather than reacting with aggression or violence, to be able to see it from another perspective, that it's actually them in pain. They're, they're the one who's, you know, whatever someone says or does is more about them than it is you and not to take the thing personally. So I reflected on my, so that's my now new belief, basically, because now if someone did do the same sort of thing that they did in the past and threaten me or bully me or anything like mm. that, that would be my go-to belief. So I would, wouldn't find myself getting frustrated or triggered in the same way that I would have many years ago. Mm. You know, it doesn't mean that you don't get triggered. We all get triggered to some extent, but it's that first and then second mm. thought. So if your first thought is like, why is he having a go at me? Your second thought is, is he must be going through something that's causing him to react that way. So it's changing that belief system and the controlling and controlling how you respond or react to those. Mm. So that's what I did at that, that early that's early stage. It was the first two years. I was in jail for six years in total. And those first two years were spent doing a lot of work on myself and internal work on myself with the courses and so on. But how, it was how did you how did you um I suppose wrestle with the fact of accepting reality, which was you're in prison, um, but also this uh, belief that you're going to get out, mm. um, but also not creating a, a victim mindset of that you didn't do this crime. I mean, that, that to me, that's really quite complex to try and well, wrestle with that. How did you work that through? That really sounds tough to me. Well, um, not being a victim, feeling like a victim, you mean? Well, oh, not feeling like oh. a victim, but trying to be positive, but also trying to accept the reality of, of where the situation was. And well, look, I mean, this, naysayers this around you saying you're not going to get out. I mean, that's quite mm. challenging, isn't it? Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's plenty of times when I wasn't very happy in there. You know, or, you know, I wasn't always positive. But, I mean, um, especially in, in those early days. But, you know, the reality is, is you can't change your reality in that situation. You've got to make the best of it. And I've always been that sort of person. I've not been the person sort of person to wallow in self-pity. It's not my nature. Um, so I will always be having a laugh with people, I'll always be doing things. So maybe that's a deflection. But what it helped me do is focus more on the moment in that in that situation rather than looking too far into the future. I didn't focus on the future so much. I, I was more worried at focus on what I could do right now. And like I said, I had that belief. I had that core belief that, uh, and again, the belief leads to everything that one day I will get out. So I didn't think about when that would be or how that's going to happen. I just thought about now and sort of focused on what that was happening that day. And that meant just going to work in the morning, going to the gym, socializing with your mates. So not focusing too deeply into, oh no, why am I feeling it? Why am I in this situation? What could go wrong? And so I, 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 I chose not to see myself like that. I've never enjoyed feeling victimized. You know, it's not something I enjoy. I don't enjoy sympathy from people. So it's it's not that if some if I do feel victimized, because we all do at some time, some point, it's natural, you know, to feel that way. But I'm very I can get myself out of that way of thinking quite quickly because I, I just don't like the feeling of feeling that way. 
So I'm able to sort of like say, well, come on, just get up and get on with it sort of thing. But that's how I used to be. But now if I have a thought or belief um, that creates a feeling of victimization, I'm able to actually identify it and really work through it and switch it to a perspective which is actually going to be serving of me now. But back then it was a bit different because I hadn't, I didn't have the skills or the talent or the, you know the things that I, I now have in terms of this area, but um, but I suppose it was a natural thing as well, you know, in terms so, of the way I deal with things, the coping. And the way I talk cope us through the sort of the sort of daily because obviously you, you talked about being in the moment there, which I think is really important about taking each day as it, as it as it as it is yeah. uh, step by step, and that's being being sort of present. When did you start to, I suppose, build that sort of way of thinking and talk us through some of the stuff you would do on a daily basis uh, that were, I would say, coping strategies that help you get through the challenges of naysayers saying you're not going to get out, the internal critics saying you're not going to get out, through to the victim thing, through to just being in prison around people who are probably not the greatest people to be around sometimes. Um, just how did you deal with that and keep a, a positive mindset but also be honest with you that's hopeful. a misconception because there's a there's some of the greatest people i've ever met in my life have been in prison brilliant so it's a misconception that we have outside about prison and the reality is most people outside have got absolutely no clue about prison so that's the truth of the matter we have we believe and it all comes down to beliefs mm. Because we believe what we think we, is happening about a situation, but that belief isn't necessarily, necessarily true. Um, it's only when we've, uh, we're able to look at things from op- other ways mm. and perspectives that we see, actually, prisons actually can be a very positive place to be at times. You know, in terms of my social interactions, mm. I had some very, very wonderful people around me who, who, who were very supportive through some of the darkest days I've ever experienced in my life. So you've got to look at it from another perspective, you know. But, um, you know, prison, it works if you want it to work for you. And if you want to put yourself into certain situations, such as offending behaviour courses, gym, reading, studying. I did an open university psychology degree in it. There's lots for you to do. It's just, it's just again, down to your belief system, how you want to do You can spend your life fighting everything, fighting yourself, fighting the system, fighting the world around you, or you can take responsibility for what you're doing and, and try and make the best of whatever's happening that day. Because, again, it's only that day that counts. It's not what happens next week or the month later. It's, it's that day. And if you're focused only on that moment, you can actually only, you can start moving forward. And mm. I suppose I was in that situation where um, I was doing that. I was after two yeah. years in that in there. I was in a very good space mentally. Um, I was um, I had people who I got on with me around me. I was very com- happy in myself. I was um, doing healthy things like working out and so on. But that's when everything changed because that's when uh, the first loss. My mum got ill, and um, and it was that point that was when everything sort of crumbled down really and. That was when my life just fell apart, basically, mm. Mm. and that was the real test. So it was uh, it was initial. After two, uh, I was uh, like I said, I was given prison sentence in two thousand and eleven. It was Christmas two thousand and thirteen that my mum found out she had cancer. She she was diagnosed uh, early 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 December, and she died on the twenty first, very suddenly, very quickly. I was given mm. the option of going to Sierra in prison, sorry, in, in prison in hospital. But I was told I can either go and see her or I can go to the funeral. I can't do both. 
So I had to arrange the funeral because my father was in no fit state to do so. So it was a horrible situation. And, um, and it was the support of the people around me in that prison that kept me going through that. Mm. Um, the different people on the wing, different groups of people from different cultures and so on coming together to support you. Something that you probably wouldn't see as much out here. Mm. So people don't see that side of things in prison. Mm. You know, it was those people who really kept me focused, get kept me going because I had to be focused. Mm. I couldn't be an emotional wreck. I had to be focused because of my father. Um, and it was like a stream of things, a string of things, one after the next. You can't predict it or, 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 or imagine it, really. First thing, my cat died. Now, I've always come from a family who loves animals, and we had 21 cats, <laughs> believe it or not. And um, my cat, who was like my baby, she was fine, good health. My mum was obviously looking after her. And then my mum had been taken ill. She'd gone into hospital. And um, the day before, I mean, she passed, which is the 21st of December, I'd phoned my father to find out about my mum, obviously. And it was 10 a.m. in the morning. We were on 23-hour bang-up. So we were behind the cell a door for 23 hours a day, unable to be out to have a shower, to use a phone or anything like that. So I was in that cell, and um, at 10 a.m. every morning, the door would open. I'd rush out to go and get to the phone before anyone else could get there. So I got to the phone and my phone, my dad, and this is on the 20th of December, and he's in tears. And he said, I'm expecting to hear the news about my mum. And he goes, no, Tipsy's died, my cat. And it threw me. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't understand what he was saying because I wasn't expecting that. And um, in amongst all the noise and the banging and everything else going on in there, I had to take myself back off to the – I just hung up the phone and went back to the cell and just sat there in my thoughts. I couldn't comprehend it. Mm. The very next day, I woke up at the same time, done the same thing, and this time it was my mum had passed. So I'd lost the two main females in my life within two days. Um, so anyway, I arranged. I had to arrange the funeral from that cell, um, do it all myself. Um, and it was, I moved to a new, another prison. I was in Kent. I moved to one in near where I lived to be closer to my father. And it was exactly three months after that, after my, to the day after my mother passed, that my I was on the phone to my dad in the morning. And he died um, from a heart from cardiac arrest. So that was also <laughs> a big shock. Uh, again, back behind the door, I had to deal with that. I had to arrange his funeral as well. Um, my grandfather died four months later, and all in all, in that one in ten months, I lost thirty three people animals or things such as the family home i had to sell the family home from prison as well so that puts into context the initial part of the sentence where you're wrestling with whether you should be in there or not or whatever um, so so how did you I mean apart from being in prison and dealing with that uh and false imprisoned and dealing with all those um you know 33 losses uh, in various guises how did you maintain that sort of uh, – what, what was the mindset going on in that in terms of how did you deal with that, really? At that moment in time, I shut my emotions off and just kept going. Mm. And that's the truth of the matter because, again, I wasn't a trained coach like I am now. I mean, I, uh, if, if I'd have gone back and chose, done anything differently, what I would have probably done then is consciously shut my emotions off to get through the day-to-day -day stuff because, like I said, I couldn't break down. I had to think – I had to – 
arranged the funerals. I had to be there. I had to take responsibility for this. And that meant I couldn't, there was no one supporting me. I had no, no family left. All my family had died. I had no money. Um, I had to get through that. I had to arrange the funerals. I had to sell the family home, which is no easy task because I had to get it cleared out, fat people in there to clear the house out and put it on the market and so on. And I had to do all this from prison. And luckily I had some very close friends supporting me who helped me through that. Otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do it at all. So it was, it was, it was sort of like a survival mode. You go into survival mode just to get through that period. You deal with the emotions later. And this is what happened with me. I, I focused on the day to day stuff. I was working literally, I was work, I was in, I was working in a DHL warehouse at the time, focusing on that just to get through the day to day stuff. I had to write my dad's eulogy on the, on the worst wing in the prison, um, with to a sound of loud rap music, banging doors, shouting, uh, and God knows what else focusing on that. <clears throat> so it was an incredibly difficult period, unbelievably difficult period. Um, at the same time, trying to sort of comprehend what happened, you know, one minute what, what did you, what did you learn about yourself when you look, when you look back and reflect on all that time, what did you learn? I can deal yourself? with anything that there's nothing in this life can throw at me that I can't deal with nothing. Mm. Um, because I, I will just get up and keep going. And that's the, that's what I learned about myself. It's not easy. You know, I don't, I didn't, there's many times I, I, I thought about killing myself or, or, or I just didn't want to go on. I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning to go to work, but I did. And, and that's the difference. I just kept going mm. <clears throat> because, and it was hard. And I, and um, it was a year after my father, uh, parents had gone that that's uh, you can't man, you can't keep going. This is what I've learned. You can't bury your emotions and just keep going. You've got to deal with them. And it's the same as if you look in the wars and things. I'm, I'm a history buff. I like all my history stuff. If you look at a lot of these veterans in the old days, and, and there's a there's a misconception with a lot of guys these days specifically. I work with men uh, who say, oh, well, just get on with it. I'm sorry, but if you, you know, they say, when they're back in the day in the wars, they used to just get on with it. Well, they didn't because they all had their demons. They all had their problems for many, many, many years later. Mm. So if you don't unpack that stuff, it will just come back and hurt you. So at that stage, though, I had to sort of just put it to one side just to get through the day-to-day stuff. And it was a year after that, the initial losses, that I had been moved to a new wing. I was on an open wing, um, which was more freedom. You had a key for your door. You could cook your own food and so on. So I had a lot more freedom. So in order to sort sort of celebrate that, I suppose, I found a friend. And um, she used to be my first girlfriend and she told me some news and it was that news that really sent me into a spiral, which broke me basically. And it was like a car, a stack of cards crumbling, crumbling down. Um, she told me my ex-girlfriend and my best friend were now secretly seeing each other. Hmm. And basically they didn't know each other. So it completely shocked me. And um, turned out my so-called friend had been manipulating me to get information from her about her oh. and so on. Long story short, that broke me. I took an overdose, tried to kill myself, and um, I had a heart attack and luckily got revived with CPR by one of the guys on the wing, mm-hmm. um, and that brought me around. And that was the moment. That was that mo- that turning point moment 
when I sort of come round and and up the next day and thought to myself, nah, this isn't me. Um, I want to be, you know, I'm not a victim. Um, and I decided, all right, I'm going to start taking control of myself. You know, I'm not going to worry about getting out of prison. And, you know, you can take what you want from me, life, but mm-hmm. I'm still going to keep going. And I did. And I and, and it was hard. It was very hard. That first year was probably the hardest year of my life in terms of um, physical well-being, mental well-being, emotional well-being. It was in a bad, difficult place. But I just kept going. Mm-hmm. And the reason, the way I did that was to focus less on my external whatever it was, circumstances, less on whatever it was that was uh, holding me back mentally or emotionally or whatever, and literally just on the day-to-day stuff, focusing on how I can be at my most productive today. Mm-hmm. What does that involve? That means studying. That means exercising. That means helping others, training, whatever it may be, reading mm-hmm. books. You know, So I enrolled as a, in, 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 in the Open University to do a psychology degree. I got a job working in the education department teaching critical reasoning skills. I started mentoring young kids on wings uh, from gangs because I'd been in that lifestyle. So gradually I started feeling better about myself, bit mm. by bit, slowly over a period of time. And it was then that the seed was sown about coaching. Um because I did a, a business course and in, in, in the same class, the same teacher that I was working for in the critical mm. research skills. And she asked, well, they asked me, um, hypothetically, what career would you choose? And the first thing that came into my mind, and God knows why, is, is life coach. And they did the research. I had no clue about coaching. I didn't know what it meant. Um, and the guy went off and done the research and came back and all the attributes and skills I had so it sowed the seed. Anyway, I forgot all about it. And I moved, I carried on with what I was doing. And it was three years later. And I've now been told I'm getting released. Um, and that completely stunned me because I never expected that at all. Hmm. And it, what happened was Michael Gove had changed the laws a year earlier to make it easier for people to move through the system so that they weren't clogging up the system, which is what had been happening. And they were started letting people out, giving people opportunities. And the truth be told is when I went to the parole board, they couldn't get me out quick enough because they they basically said to me, you've seen what you've been through in here and there's not a thing in the world that you can't deal with out there. <laughs> so they let me out. And ever since then, that's what I've been doing, working. Well, not ever since then, but, yeah, now it's gone full circle. Now I'm working with them. <laughs> That's fantastic. And and to people who are who are listening right now, I mean, your, your story is in, incredible, Mark. It, it's it's really inspiring. It's um, yeah, in terms of all what you've been through, and you continue to go, and you've worked on yourself, and you got to the lowest point where you, you try to take your own life, and that was your trigger point. Some people might be listening right now who are facing an adversity, facing a struggle. They may be facing an injustice. Uh, and try and maintain that positive mindset. How can they begin that journey uh, towards that resilience and growth that you, you're sharing, you're experiencing yourself now? I think the key is awareness. You know, it's aware because if we're not aware of what we're telling ourselves about certain circumstances in our minds, how on earth are we supposed to change that? You know, and majority of us aren't conscious of what we're telling ourselves 90% of, 98% of the time it is apparently um, about anything in life. It doesn't matter if it's adversity, whatever, but, you know, we, we believe our first thoughts 
we have assumptions, we have interpretations, like the assumption about prison, for instance. It's a natural thing that we all do. Oh, it must be full of lunatics in there. Yeah, you get lunatics in there, but a lot of them are really clever guys and interesting mm. people. So it's an assum- we make assumptions and judgments about everything and everyone. It's mm. human nature. We can't change that. But we can become more aware of it. And the interpretations we make about this, the fears that we have about whatever it may be, they're all inbuilt. We create them. So in order to sort of change your perspective of your situation, regardless of what that is in terms of adversity, your difficulties, your challenges, we need to be able to see it in a different light, firstly. And you're only going to do that if you're aware of what you're telling yourself about that mm. situation to begin with. And if we're not aligned with that, if we're not aligned with our thoughts, our emotions and our actions, then they will take control. Our sub- unconscious mind will drive them for us. Mm. So we're never in control of that. We're just on autopilot, essentially. Mm. So it's very important to be able to sort of take, uh, to, to learn how to sort of switch that unconscious mind off and choose how you want to be thinking, feeling, mm. and acting in life. And if you can do that, you're taking back control out of, from instead of focusing on external restrictions or difficulties or adversity in life, which mm. we, we can't avoid. You know, the way I see adversity and challenges now is I actually see them as positive things. I don't see them as negative. Don't get me wrong. No one enjoys going through adversity. No one enjoys hardship. We don't enjoy having no money. We don't enjoy being in prison. We don't enjoy COVID. We don't enjoy all of these things. But if we're only focusing on the fact, thing that they're restricting us from doing, Mm. We're not focusing on the lesson behind it and what it's teaching us about ourselves and the situation, the opportunity of growth. And if mm. you can focus more on the growth, the opportunity, the, the, the ability to sort of learn something new here, then mm. you're winning. And it's no longer a negative situation. It's actually a positive one. And so you're changing the whole dynamics of that whole situation simply by switching your perspective of it. Mm. And I find that's what helps me today. Because let me, you know, I'll be honest, my life is no walk in the park now. It's different to how it used to be, but I've still got the same challenges and adversities that everybody else has, mm. financial problems and so on, you know, and to, going through a cost of living crisis, running a small business isn't easy, as a lot of people will know. You know, so there's lots of different challenges that we've all got in our lives. But what my past has taught me is that it doesn't matter what you're external circumstances are you can still be successful you can still be happy you can still Mm. be positive you still be confident and all of these things if you are able to change your perspective of your circumstances Mm. no that's a that's a really sort of powerful lesson i think and i I think also i I really picked up that you use the resources that are around you um and you know whether that's the people in the prison the courses um the gym all the various things you could have in the 23 hours a day you locked up but you use the resources and i think that's really powerful as well if people want to get in touch with you and mark and get more engaged about your story how you might be able to help them uh, in their sort of adversity and 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 do a transformation that you've done yourself Mm. uh, what's the best way of doing that probably either through linkedin or facebook currently I, I, I do have a website, but it's currently down at the moment because I'm getting a new WordPress one. <laughs> I'm moving up in the world with that. But um, but currently, the best way is probably LinkedIn or Facebook. Depends where you see this. I've also got a YouTube channel, and I do a, cha- uh, um, uh, a podcast called To Hell and Back Podcast, and I'm writing a book as well, which is called To Hell and Back and Then Some. 
uh, which is again, it's, it's, it's my story, but it's also about everybody's story, if that makes sense. Mm. So, um, that's going to be out hopefully within the next year. And, um, so yeah, you know, if you want to get in touch with me, find me on LinkedIn, find me on Facebook or, or drop me a line directly either. Fantastic. Well, well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your story. Thank you for the inspiration and the transformation and also the the lessons you've learned and how you you've uh, adapted your change your mindset and i think there's a lot of takeaways from from this uh, episode today uh, really thank you for your time mark it's been my pleasure thank you for having me on thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode if you like this episode then please rate review and share it with your friends and colleagues as a coaching practice i coach high performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.